Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we spent some time looking at a moment in the life of Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Jonathan had a key moment in his life when he didn't have all the answers but stepped out in faith anyway, knowing that perhaps God would meet him and make a way. There's plenty we can take away from this story. Follow along and we hope you enjoy the message. Uh, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. So if you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, before Easter, before Palm Sunday, we wrapped up our Jesus Is But Also series. So if you're coming, we're not in the middle of anything. If this is your first time with us or first time back in a long time, we're glad you're here. We're not in the middle of anything. In fact, this is going to be called a, a one-off message, okay? And if you're taking notes, you can call this uh, the perhaps of faith. And I kind of got this idea uh, from Charlie, one of Charlie Boyd. He's uh, one of our, our pastors here. And he taught a message um, on this kind of same thing. And it, it got my, my gears turning, made me start thinking, uh, brought up some really good conversation in the community group that I'm a part of. And uh, so I thought I'd share this message kind of from, uh, it's from his royalties series or from our church's royalty series. Uh, how many of you have heard a message from the royalty series? Anybody? You've been downstairs on a Sunday morning. You've seen it. Yep. You heard it? Not, not many. Good. This is, this is great. This was our goal long ago that none of you would go to service. So uh, that's a joke. We want you to be there. But I, I totally get it. Sometimes it goes over my head too. And uh, so maybe you, you just want to be here. You're serving. Um, so, but our church is going through a royalty series. And I think we're going to be there for quite some time. And uh, basically what, is, what we're doing is looking back at some of the Old uh, Testament leaders, some of the Old Testament kings and queens uh, of the day. And uh, one of those places that we're doing that or have been doing that for the last several weeks is in First. Samuel. So I'm going to give you some time to find in your Bible, if you brought one today, the uh, book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 14, and um, we're going to talk about uh, really the, the son. So I guess kind of like a, like a prince figure of one of these kings. The king's name is Saul. The son's name is Jonathan. And we're going to talk about him for a few minutes this morning. Before we do, though, I want to kind of talk about uh, maybe one of the riskiest things I've done. And I say that kind of like tongue in cheek. It wasn't really one of the riskiest things, but there's, there's this thing that's happened to me. And maybe you've heard me talk about it uh, in the past. But as I've gotten older, I've become more and more afraid of roller coasters. Okay. Now, how many of you, like, since you were birthed, you were afraid of roller coasters? Anybody? Do you want to admit that? Thank you for those hands. Sort of afraid of them. Uh, how many of you, like, when you see roller coasters, your heart gets thumping in a good way, and you're like, I can't wait to get on that bad boy? Yes. Okay. That was how I once was. How many of you have been to Carowinds? Anybody ever been there? Just up up north, right, right, right across the border? And, um, at Ed Carowinds, a few years ago now, basically it's been your whole lifetime since this one has existed, but uh, the roller coaster known as Fury was just opened up, okay? How many of you have ridden Fury? Anybody? Yes. It's like one of the fastest uh, roller coasters in America. I think it's the fastest still on the East Coast. A crazy experience is this roller coaster, and it's also one of the tallest roller coasters around, and so uh, this made me very nervous as I was driving at some point for some reason, we decided to take a group of students, I don't know if it was with small groups or what it was, but uh, take a group of students up to uh, to Carowinds, and as we're getting there, we're like, man, we're going to be early. We're going to be able to ride rides before there's even lines for the rides, and inevitably, people start talking about the roller coasters, and they start talking about uh, the, the fury, and uh, talking about how tall it is, and people are looking it up on their phones, like, oh yeah, it goes so fast, bro, and, uh, and they're like, Dallas, are you going to ride the fury with us? We actually might be able to go 
a couple of times and I'm like, no, I'm not, right? In my heart, but on the outside, I can't be a wuss in front of these, these students. And so I said, maybe, <laughs> which is not, not very brave. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the day goes. And uh, so th- they're talking about it and we're getting closer and closer. And like at this point, we're, we're, we're close enough. We're like pulling into the parking lot and the decision is made based on like, man, there's like almost nobody on the roller coaster right now. And man, I bet the line's really short. Let's go do this first thing of the day. Okay. So already just threw up in my mouth, right? Like I've, I've been kind of preparing myself. Okay. They're going to make me do this roller coaster at some point in the day. And, uh, now there's like no getting back, no, no backing out of it unless I like fake an injury or something. Okay. And not only am I going to have to do it some, at some point during the day, but it's going to be the first ride of the day. Like they didn't even, you know, put us on like a little teacup and spin me around a couple times or something. Right. They, they wanted to go full into the fury. And I mean, I, I'm like, sweating as I'm waiting in line for this. Not because it's hot. It was like cool at the beginning of the day. And we're, we're sure enough, we're getting in line. This is the first thing that we're going to go on. And guys, I like, I was freaking out. Like this felt very risky to me. I, I've seen the stories of people flying off and you know, their head going everywhere and whatever. And I was like, this is going to be me. This is going to be me. It's going to get to the top of that thing. And it's just going to keep going. Like it's not going to stop and tip over. It's just, we're going to the moon or something. Okay. And we're done. We're all done. And uh, so I get on this thing and they strap me and I'm trying to remind myself, okay, these are, these are relatively safe machines, okay? A lot of engineering has gone into this. Maybe some of you know more about that in the room than I do. Uh, and, and we get on, and we start cranking up, and I just close my eyes. I just close my eyes all the way up. And uh, it wasn't until that, that first drop, and when the first drop was done, I was good, okay, that I, that I actually opened my eyes. I did not want to see how tall I was. I did not want to see, you know, that I could see my house from there or anything like that. I was not interested. Uh, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tough this out. They brought me on this. I'm going to love it after the first drop. And sure enough, it was awesome. And I think we wrote it a couple more times, and uh, I was a little braver on those times. But it felt very risky. I didn't fall off, okay? I didn't fly off. I think everybody was safe. Uh, but for me, it felt like very risky in the moment. But as long as I was able to like just get there, just get in line, there's no backing out. I'm like stepping out almost in faith, right? Like, okay, this thing's not going to break. People have researched this very well. And it was, it was an awesome experience. How many of you have had an experience like that on a, on a ride? Like maybe you were a little hesitant to ride it. And maybe you closed your eyes on the first like third of the ride. But, uh, but afterwards, you're like, man, I could do this again. Uh, my boys kind of had a similar experience when we were at the lake not long ago, and I started tossing them off of like this 10-foot um, ten foot dock in, into the water, which admittedly, that's a big drop for kids who are like two feet tall, right? Uh, but, but as soon as they get that, that, first, uh, that first throw in and that first fall into the water, dude, they're, they're just in it. And they are, they're climbing up the ladder, and they got big smiles on their face. No more fear anymore. But at first, it, it felt like a risky bit, bit of behavior. But if they, if they just kind of take the first step, like, okay, dad's asking me to do this. Okay, a bunch of these middle schoolers are asking me to ride this ride. If I could just get get in line and get strapped in, then I'm, I mean, I'm locked in. There's actually, I think, no going back. That's like a law. They won't let you off the ride. I don't think that's true. I think they let you off if you cry enough (laughs) and and you threaten to sue. Uh, Not that I have any experience with that. But 
How many of you would say, maybe not a roller coaster, but you've had something else like that where, yeah, I didn't know for sure, but like I just made it. I just took a step out. Maybe your friend was asking you to do something with them that you, you were like, I don't know. That doesn't sound so fun. I'll have to tell you guys, one time I rode down a, a river that was very rapidly on an air mattress and was probably not a great idea, but my friend got sucked under and he spun around and I'll have to tell you that story at some point, but he, he convinced me to go and I was like, okay, if I can just go there. We had life jackets, okay? Don't, don't freak out. I don't think my mom knows about that story to this day. But, uh, but maybe, maybe there's something like that. Like, hey, let's just let's go on this camping trip. Or, um, hey, will you, just, will you join this sports team with me? Or uh, will, you, like, will you go to, to this movie with me? I know it doesn't look like it's going to be a great movie, but I think it could be awesome. Or it's something like that where, hey, if you'll just take the first step, like I kind of know the direction that we're going, okay, I'll take the first step and I'll just trust that the rest is going to take care of itself. I think in some ways there's, there's some element of that when it comes to our, our faith and our, our walk with God. And if, if you're a Christian in here, or, or maybe even if you're not, this is something that could, could apply to you. Like maybe there's things that God has been asking you to do or inviting you to step into that you've been hesitant because you're like, I don't, I don't know, man, like what's really going to be the benefit of that? Or okay, maybe God is asking me to share my faith in a different way or maybe speak up in small group a little bit more than normal or maybe just to, to wake up a little earlier and engage him and, and, and read the scriptures and pray. Or maybe he's asking you like you were wrestling this year with, hey, am I supposed to sign up for a mission trip or not? Or am I supposed to go serve with my family in this thing? And, and there's, there's these things that it feels like God's calling you to, but, but you're hesitant and you're just waiting. Like maybe, maybe if the clouds would part and, and trumpets would sound, then I would know. If like God descended himself, if Jesus came back and then he told me, or if I hear an audible voice, or if I, if I stumble upon a video on YouTube that just has all these answers and says, yes, you must go, right? Like we wait for these, these miraculous moments sometimes to the point that it leaves us paralyzed in our faith. Because some of you, you're, you're hearing that, you're like, yeah, I actually got something. And you've been waiting on that thing for a long time. And you still haven't moved, Maybe it was the mission trip, and I'm, I'm not trying to knock you at all, but, but I, I do want to like poke and encourage and challenge you. Maybe it was the mission trip this year, and you're like, man, I wanted to sign up for that mission trip, but I never felt like God gave me total peace about it. That's a big phrase in our Christian culture, isn't it? Like, I just need to have peace. I need to have certainty about that thing before I make a move. Sometimes, though, I don't know that God always gives us that full peace, and I don't know that he has to in order for us to move. And there's actually this story here in 1 Samuel 14 where it seems like, hey, they know the direction that God's calling them to. They don't know the hows. They don't know all the ins and outs. They don't have this parting of the clouds moment, at least initially. And yet they move forward towards what God's called them to do because they're simply obeying him. And they're stepping out in faith. It's this thing that we're going to call the perhaps of our faith. That's kind of what I titled this message, the perhaps of our faith. Like, hey, maybe if I step out, God will meet me there. Let's go ahead and look in 
First Samuel chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 6. And there's this guy named Jonathan who I kind of talked about earlier. He's the son of King Saul. And his dad, King Saul, was a pretty uh, back and forth guy. It seemed like there were these moments where he was all in and, and just on fire and about, hey, whatever the Lord's going to lead me into. But then there were a lot of times where it seemed like the opposite was true, where instead of trusting God, he kind of tried to take things into his own hands. And Saul was the king of Israel. Israel, the king of God's people in the Old Testament. He was one of the kings, and he came right before arguably the greatest king of Israel, who was known as, as David. And so maybe you've heard stories of Saul and David where they kind of had this, uh, seems like a, a competitive back and forth, like David seems to kind of be the better king even before he's king, and Saul gets angry about that. And David kind of goes and says, no, I'm not trying to take over your position just yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord with it. And, and Saul gets angry, and all these kind of back and forths happen between Saul and, and David. And one of David's closest friends, in fact, it seems like his closest friend, his best friend, like through thick and thin, we're, we're in this together, is Saul's son, Jonathan. And uh, at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul, the king, uh, is in Israel, is in a battle with the Philistines. And at this point, the Philistines have kind of blocked Israel from getting like real weapons, like they kind of they kind of made sure that Israel didn't have any blacksmiths who could create like real good weapons, spears and swords and things like that. You know, they didn't have they did not have the same weapons that we have today. Okay, so spears and swords were like the weapons of the day, and uh, and the Philistines had blocked them from getting the weapons. And so most of the weapons they had outside of like Saul and Jonathan, they had real weapons because they were uh, they were royalty, and so they could get a hold of some different things. But for the most part, the the uh, army of Israel was fighting with like farmers' weapons like plows and uh, pitchforks and some pickaxes and stuff like that. Like they were just using whatever they had. And so it seems like they're kind of at this stalemate where they're waiting like, hey, God's going to have to do something or something crazy is going to have to happen. And so Saul and hundreds of his men, his army, who, again, they don't have real weapons, they're kind of sitting off to the side and just like waiting, it seems, for something to happen. Waiting even though they know, hey, God's on our side. God's with us, and it seems God has even promised, hey, I'm going to give Israel victory over the Philistines. And Saul knows that. He's heard it. He's probably asked some questions about it. And yet, he's just kind of waiting to the side. Remember we talked about this waiting game that we often play where we're like, I'm just going to wait, and maybe God's called me to that, but I'm going to wait for him to make it really, really clear and really, really sure. Give me that peace that surpasses all understanding that makes me feel like I'm taking a cold shower, I'm in a cold bath, like, oh, yes, now I know that God's going to do it. And it seems like that's what Saul and his men are waiting for. And Jonathan kind of catches this idea and is like, no, God's going to give us the victory. He's promised that to us. He's with us through it all. And so this is kind of where we pick up in, uh, in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, also known as his armor bearer. Sometimes I like to think, it, think about it like a caddy uh, for a golf player. I don't know if you know what a caddy is for a golfer, but basically the caddy carries the golf bag around and, and makes sure that he's taking care of the clubs while the golfer is uh, doing all the things that he needs to do and, and usually just holding one golf club at a time. And uh, the caddy says, here, sir, you need your, uh, your wedgie uh, and now you need your putter. 
it's actually a wedge, but, uh, or you need this iron or whatever. Like you need this, this, uh, uh, just to see if you're listening. Okay. And most of you didn't laugh until I clarified, maybe you were concerned that something happened with my brain in the moment, which is probably more likely. I've been reading a lot of Captain Underpants to my boys. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's very likely. That, uh, that was just a Freudian slip. Okay, so it's like a caddy. Uh, he's kind of carrying the armor. He's kind of holding the things uh, so that uh, Jonathan doesn't get too tired or he doesn't get too weighed down. And then when he needs them, uh, that's when the armor bearer is kind of passing some of those things along. But it seems like he's got probably some of his own armor, so he's like doubling up. He's carrying his own kind of weapons because he's got to fight too. And uh, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Without getting too much into what uncircumcised means, okay? Uh, ask, ask your parents, I guess. But, um, but that, was just, that was a symbol. It was a sign that God said, hey, if you're going to be my people, Israel, all of the men must have this mark on them, so to speak. They must be circumcised. And so anybody who was not part of God's people, they were not yet circumcised. They were uncircumcised. So kind of a funny thing, uh, if you think about it, that they call the Philistines uh, the uncircumcised. So we're going to go over to their camp. Jonathan is presenting this to his armor bearers, those people who are not God's people, the people that we have been promised victory over. And then he says this, it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearers said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. So the armor bearer is in this, even to the point where, where Jonathan says, you know, Hey, does he, does he say, like, hey, we've got clarity. We're going to go there and God's going to give us victory. No, he doesn't say that. He actually says, it may be, or hey, maybe, or this word that we're using this morning, perhaps. In fact, if you have the NIV version of the, of the Bible or maybe a, a different translation, uh, it actually may use the word in there, perhaps, God will meet us when we go. Where, where is he going to meet him? So he's going to this garrison. He's kind of going to this, this camp or this place where the Philistines are set up. And it's an interesting space. It seems like on one side, they're going to actually have to kind of climb down a cliff and kind of get in this little like valley area or a little pass area. And in order to get to the Philistines, they actually have to climb up some more rocks. So they're, they're going to go get this. Like they don't, they don't have real clarity from the Lord other than what they know God initially promised and yet Jonathan is saying, hey, we're going to go and we're going to see if God will meet us there. Perhaps he's going to meet us there when we get there. But we're going to put ourselves in the line of fire. We're going to put ourselves in this valley where we're pretty vulnerable. And let's see if God will show up. Now, admittedly, he does ask like, hey, and maybe when we get there, let's see what they say. So the next part of uh, this chapter, verse 8, says, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. We'll say, Hey, we're here. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. So, I mean, he's kind of like saying, Hey, maybe God will give us some insight on what the battle plan will be once we get there, but we're still going to go nonetheless. And if they say, Hey, we're coming down to you, then we'll stay where we are, and we'll fight them when they come to us. But if they say, verse 10, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So instead, we're going to we're going to climb up to them if they say, hey, come on up here. See, see what's happening. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where where they have hidden themselves. 
And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. It's kind of funny if you think about it. Come on up. We'll show you what, what we're made of. Show, show you what we got. We'll show you something, namely our weapons. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. When Jonathan climbed up on his hands, uh, Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, were half a froze length in an acre of land. So they go up there, just two dudes, they take out 20 men. And if you keep reading the rest of this chapter, you actually see that Saul's men from pretty far away, they start to see like, hey, something's going on. There's some kind of commotion up here. In fact, This attack of just two guys so confused the Philistines that they're like, what, what's happening? And they start like fighting each other because they're not sure who's the enemy in this moment. And they actually start killing one another. And Saul's people see this commotion and it keeps going. They're like, man, this thing isn't stopping. And eventually they're like, maybe this is the sign that we need. And they start going and they join Jonathan and his armor bearer and they end up defeating the Philistines. And it's a huge victory for Israel in that moment. But all started because Saul, or because, excuse me, Jonathan and his armor bearer were like, hey, let's go move forward in what the Lord's called us to. And perhaps God's going to do something as we do it. There's two uh, phrases that are a little bit like some play on words, some kind of some some word play for you uh, that I think kind of draw out some of the the principles or some of the big ideas from this chapter. The the first one has to do with certainty, and it's this: when certainty is an idol, your faith becomes idle. You like that? When certainty is an idol, your faith becomes. Idol. Here's one of the things, again, we've already talked about it that I think happens when we know, hey, I know God's called me to do this thing. And it could be something as simple as, and this is something that I kind of went back and forth on as I was your age, like, should I really wake up a little bit early to get in God's word? Or should I really make time during my day to pray? Like, what's going to be the big deal? Like, what's, what's God actually going to do in that? But I, but I kept feeling this knock on my heart and this pull uh, on my mind. Like, no, 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 these are things that God's called you into. Or it could be something bigger. Like I, I mentioned earlier, maybe it's sharing your faith or, or talking to someone about Jesus in a different way. It's at your school or it's on your sports team or it's a neighbor or it's a family member. And you're like, man, I, I don't know. Or maybe something even bigger like a a mission trip or some sort of serving opportunity or something that, that you know, hey, based on the gifts that God has given you, the way that he's wired you, these are ways that God wants you to use your gifts. But we become paralyzed because we want this thing called certainty. And it's like, man, it, unless God parts the seas or opens up the clouds, speaks to me, through a song or, or maybe through his audible voice or through a friend. God's going to have to do something crazy before I would take a step even towards that thing. But if Jonathan and his armor bearer waited for certainty, they never would have approached the Philistines like they did. They never would have taken out those first 20 men. They never would have started that commotion that eventually brought in Saul and his army to defeat. And, and who knows what would have happened that day. But Israel, it seems like, certainly wouldn't have had the same kind of victory that they did over the Philistines in that moment if Jonathan and his armor bearer had just waited for certainty. When certainty becomes an idol, meaning like 
it kind of steps into the place of God. Like, because at some point you're not just waiting on God then, but you're waiting like, I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. But God's not always in the business of our comfort or our safety or our security. I don't know if anybody's told you that. Like, yes, it's true that we're under his wing and that he is our fortress and all those kinds of things. But if you read the Bible, people, people died doing things for God. The, the disciples, many of them gave their lives for sharing the gospel. And that's, that's not because God is just safe and he's going to put a pillow fortress around you. Like, he's, he's a different kind of safe. He's a different kind of security. Sometimes it means that we do sacrifice our physical comfort and our physical safety for God. I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out and be a martyr this week. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes maybe God is asking you to sacrifice a little bit of your reputation. Sometimes God is asking you to get a little uncomfortable. And, and oftentimes those things, that sacrifice is, is the reason we're like, no, 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 I got, just got to be so sure and so certain. But when certainty becomes something that you lift up in a sense higher than God, your faith becomes idle, meaning it becomes like you're, you're in neutral in a, in a car, so to speak. Or, you know, we just went through James a, a few months back. Your faith becomes dead, useless. You're no longer following God. You've so lifted up this idol of certainty, surety, security, comfort, whatever it is for you. And now your faith has become dead and useless. And that's not the kind of life or faith that we're called to. So as that happened for you, is it, is it time for you to confess, hey, God, I think I've made certainty an idol. And I don't want my faith to be dead. I don't want my faith to be useless. I don't want my faith to be idle. God, would you forgive me and show me what it looks like to step forward into what you have for us. And as you do, maybe this next kind of word play is something that will be helpful. It's this, when we pray for total peace, sometimes God only gives us a peace. I know it's silly, but maybe it'll help you remember. When we pray for total peace, remember I talked about, this is some one of the big phrases in our Christian culture. Like, oh, maybe you've heard your family talk about this. And again, I'm not saying like, <clears throat> hey, so this is all wrong, but I think We've got to understand sometimes that God's not always going to give us complete peace and complete certainty and complete surety about the things that we're about to step into. Sometimes he just gives us a piece of the puzzle. Jonathan, armor bearer, hey, just know this. You've got the victory. God's with you. Israel, you're his people. Jonathan and the armor bearer knew just that little piece and they said, so we're going to move forward. For you, it's like, hey, let's, let's start small again. Bible, praying, if it's just some of those basic pieces of our faith, man, sometimes all you need to know is, yeah, God's called you to be in the scripture because that's one of the places that you get to know him. That's one of the places that you start to understand how he's designed life and maybe some of the things that he's called you to step into, things like loving your neighbor, things like serving, things like obeying. Yeah, so you need to be in scriptures. You need to be in prayer. Maybe that's all the peace that you need. And then you step forward and you actually go and do those things. Hey, yes, God has called you to put your faith on display. How that happens maybe isn't totally clear to you. Who you're supposed to talk with maybe isn't totally clear to you. But if you know that that's part of who you're supposed to be, then step out in faith and move towards the things that God's called you to. You see how this works? God's not always going to give us total peace. Sometimes 
You know, maybe one of the places that this happened for me, and then I'll, I'll wrap up, uh, the, the, the clearest, like one of these huge life decisions, because oftentimes this is when it comes up. It's when we have a couple decisions, and maybe the decisions, it's not clear like, hey, this one is bad and this one is good. Maybe it's decisions between a few different good things, and and at some point, you just kind of have to weigh the practicals. And that's what I did when I, uh, when I, I decided which college I was going to go to. And I know this is far off for you guys. It's like four, five, six years away uh, if, you, if you end up going to college. But I kind of had three schools that were all awesome. One of them was Cedarville, which is where uh, Jason Malone went. And another was Liberty, which maybe you've heard of Liberty, especially like sports things. They've been great the last few years. And they're, they're like this huge Christian school in Virginia. And then the other one was North Greenville, which was local and kind of felt like, oh, it's the backyard school. Like, that'd be cool. Uh, but is it going far enough away? And ultimately, guys, it was, I, I didn't know which place is God calling me to. These are three great locations, three locations with some pros, three locations with some cons. There was money coming from each school as far as scholarship stuff is concerned. And, and in the end, I just kind of weighed out the practicals. I knew that God had called me, hey, you are going to go to college, like, because that was part of the path that I felt like God had laid out before me. And so, so pick one. And in the end, I looked at them very practically, and North Greenville was giving me uh, basically a full ride to go. And, and I said, I, I don't have total peace about this. Like, there's some things that could go wrong here. There's some things that could go right here. I don't have total peace. Like, I still like, like liberty and the bigness and all the opportunity. But in the end, I stepped forward and said, well, hey, I think perhaps God's going to be with me as I make this step forward. And so I went to North Greenville, and he was. And man, I made so many friendships. I met my wife there. I had uh, some great relationships with some professors and God taught me a lot of things and grew me. And I was able to come back here uh, on the weekends and be here and be a part of teaching in high school and middle school. And now, like 10 years later, literally this may will be 10 years since I graduated. This makes me feel some kind of way. Uh, but but I, I get to be here with you guys and be a part of everything that God's doing. But if I had just waited for certainty and waited for this parting of the clouds moment. I don't know. Maybe I don't even end up making a pick to college because I'm so paralyzed by the fear of what if I make the wrong decision? No, if you know that God's called you into it, what might happen? And this is where I'm ending it. What might happen if you would take a step of faith towards that thing that you know God's called you into? Perhaps he'll meet you there and do something that you could only hope, dream, or imagine. Let me pray for us. God, don't let us be people who are paralyzed by making the wrong decision, by not having certainty, by not feeling this sense of peace. Let us be people who, who trust you. And if you've called us to step into it, God, would, would we step forward and have this mindset that it seems like Jonathan and then his armor bearer had of, hey, perhaps God's going to meet us there. If he's called us to it, then he's going to make a way for us. Let us have that kind of mindset as we step out in faith even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.